Well, it's great to be here with you this morning. Uh, I know we've heard a lot about Summer Serve, um, but they said, hey, if you ask, maybe they'll do it. And, and so I'm asking. Uh, I am the product of children's ministry. Some of you know my story. Uh, my parents dropped us, my brother and I, off at church. I was a church kid of unchurched parents. I don't know how that exactly worked, but I remember they would just drop us off. I don't know what they even did for that hour, uh, but they would come back and pick us up. And it, it was the spiritual parents who poured into me. Uh, that allowed me to, to learn about Jesus and, and uh, eventually uh, grow and feel called to ministry and, uh, yeah, be lead pastor here. So, uh, you know, you look at 97 spaces and, and you go, how could I do that? Well, first of all, you're not doing it for the whole summer. You're, you're picking a week, right? And so it's an hour or two for the entire summer, one hour or two. And so here it is. You don't even have to like kids. Just be good for an hour or two. <laughs> Uh, for the next summer, right? You, you can fake it for an hour, right? Uh, you know, just, just uh, help us out there. It'd be great. Um, we have a lot of young families here at the church, and we want to serve them well, don't we? Yeah. All right, all right, all right. Good, 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 good. Let me make sure we're in agreement on that. Well, this morning, we are actually wrapping up our series on Abraham. We've been calling it a faith journey. And as I was praying about how do you wrap up a series about such a dynamic figure in Scripture... I thought a great place to go was the summary of sort of his life. It's found in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is, is known as sort of the faith chapter or, or the hall of faith. It, it's, it's really one of those classic chapters in Scripture. And why? Well, it doesn't have the poetic language of 1 Corinthians 13, which of course is the love chapter, which is read at many weddings. It really doesn't have that. It doesn't even have the powerful impact of a Romans 8 that speaks of the freedom we have in Christ and the closeness that God really, uh, uh, that we as believers have with him. And so why? Well, it has to do, it's a classical passage because of the sheer weight and witness and the dynamic and unforgettable definition of faith. There's a whole list of people of faith. Listen in chapter 11, of course, our understanding of what is, what is faith, biblical faith look like comes from Hebrews chapter 11. So before we jump into the chapter, we say around here, context is king. And so Hebrews chapter 11 doesn't stand alone. What is the context? What comes before it in the book of Hebrews? Well, right before it in the book of Hebrews is really this teaching on the basis of Christian faith. What is the basis of Christian faith? And so the book of Hebrews leads us through this understanding of, of the basis of Christian faith, then brings us to this dynamic chapter, this faith chapter, that gives story after story of people who are faithful to God, who trust in a faithful God, and gives us a dynamic definition. So what we find in Hebrews is this teaching that Christ's sacrifice was a, was a one-time act for all time, for all people, and that his finished work on the cross opened the way for us to be in God's presence. Through Christ, we can come to the Lord with a holy boldness, not arrogance, but boldness, free of fear and utterly confident of forgiveness and acceptance before him. Is that not good news? We sang a song earlier in the service that God is slow to anger and that God is patient. We know that God is kind, that God is loving, and that we can approach him as, as followers of his with, with a boldness, not, not an arrogance, a boldness, because we know that he wants us to draw near to him, even when we mess up, especially when we mess up, to come to him and find forgiveness and grace and, 
and to be able to continue to walk with him. So we look at Hebrews chapter 11. And we said it's the faith chapter, so it shouldn't surprise you that throughout the chapter we read, by faith, by faith, by faith. It's repeated over and over again. But the question is, what really is faith? Even we in church, when we talk about faith, what is it? I said to a friend of mine recently, uh, who's sort of new to this whole Christian thing and the Christianese, as I like to call it. That's the language we use in church that people outside of church don't have a clue what we're talking about. He was doing something special, and I said, that's a great ministry. And he said, what's a ministry? I thought, that's a really good question. It's doing something good for God. That's what I said. It's doing something good for God. And so what is faith? We use the word, but what does it really mean? What does it biblically mean? Well, here's the definition. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Let me read it again. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Let's let's break that apart a little bit. Faith is the assurance. The the Greek word for assurance here gives us the sense of of something foundational, something something concrete in which we build things upon. In fact, the root of the Greek word means a place or a setting. Like You you get this idea of the the foundation where pillars are going to be set up. If you you think about sort of uh, Greek buildings, you know, it's the foundation of of the pillars. And this this is where the word assurance comes from. It means under or below. Therefore, the word signifies something solid and foundational, concrete reality. Keep that in your mind, a concrete reality, something assured. So the faith described by the Hebrews writer is not an imaginary product of our minds. It's not something we fabricate. It's not sort of a, something that comes out of a philosophical need. And, and so we, we sort of have these rationalistic dreams. And, and so faith is sort of a loosey-goosey thing. It's, you know, well, I believe it's going to sort of happen that way. No, 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 no. It, it, it's firm. It's solid. It, it's based upon something real. So what is faith? Faith is a solid certainty of that for which we hope, based upon reality and solid existence. But the, but the verse continues. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. In the Greek, a two-word phrase uh, is used to, to help us uh, translate to what we say in English as conviction. And the first word carries with it the same idea as assurance, as concrete reality that something is, is critical, of consequence, of great importance, something foundational. It, it brings this understanding of how important this thing really is. And the second word in the Greek implies this, this thought of belief, but not just sort of belief that's sort of, again, loosey-goosey. It's, it's belief that's been well-examined. There, there's proof. In fact, the word is used in the Greek to, to also talk about sort of like a scientific experiment. It, it, it's passed the test. Uh, last week, I used the word pressure test. It, it, it's, it, it's in life, it works. Seen over and over and over and over again. Remember, what the Hebrews writer is about to do is give us example and after example after example of people who have trusted in God and God has been faithful to them. So this is a picture of faith we have. What what is faith then? Well, faith is a solid certainty of that for which we hope based upon reality and solid existence that has been tested and is essential. 
I think that's so important because our faith is built upon fact. It's built upon a relationship with, with God through Jesus Christ. Jesus historically came. It's not a myth. He was born virgin birth. He, he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins, resurrected for our salvation. He's going to return. And so our faith is a sure thing. But what is the things not seen? It says faith is the conviction of things not seen. Well, the things not seen are, are not things that we just sort of dream up. It's the fact that, I don't know if you've experienced this, my guess is we all have. That we've been going through, a, we go through a situation and we don't see God working. Like we don't see it. Like, I don't know about you, but I don't have the supernatural ability to see the end from the beginning. Like I can't always see around the corner. There's been times in my life where God has set me on a trajectory and I went, oh, I know where he's taking me. Why are you guys laughing? Because you've been there, right? And all of a sudden you realize, oh, not so much. He was just bringing me here so he could get me here. There's times where I've headed off and, and the Lord just said, stop, you know, you know, stop for a minute and ask that person how they're doing. Have you ever done something like that and all of a sudden the Lord opens up a door of a conversation? I didn't get up thinking that was going to happen. How about you? How about when you hit that other type of situation? <laughs> you thought, this can't be God's will for me. Come on now, church. And he gives you the strength to walk through it. And you realize, man, that was a big deal until you realize it was just preparing you for the big deal. God help us all. Here's the gospel truth. Our faith does not create reality, but is based upon the reality of God's sovereignty, power, and love. That's the basis of our faith. We don't, we don't create it. It, it. It's there. It's real. It's something we, we place our faith in an existing God who loves us and is sovereign and is all-powerful. Then drop down with me to verse 6. In verse 6 we read, And without faith it is impossible to please him, to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Without faith it's impossible to please God. From this verse we understand that God takes no pleasure where faith does not exist. Well, what's being written here is that without faith in God who created the world with order provides for his children who he loves, who, who loves justice and hates lawlessness, who makes a way, the only way to salvation in Jesus Christ. Without such faith, it's impossible to please God who desires and demands that we believe that these things about him exist. It's impossible. We come to faith in Christ by, help me out, faith. We walk with God by faith. To believe anything else or to think that we can do things without his assistance, to deny the very character of God and actually is actually trying to replace God with ourselves. And can you think of anything more arrogant than to say, I don't need God, I can be my own God. 
And so it's impossible to please him without faith. I mean, think about it. To say that I'm God is quite arrogant, quite self-destructive, but, but God says there's a better way. And how is he pleased? By us simply trusting in him. This is why faith is essential. It's why it's impossible to please God without it. This faith unleashed in history by the faithful actions of genuine followers of God has impacted people, nations, and history itself. So this brings us, this this understanding of faith to to sort of the summary of Abraham's faith journey. It's found in Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 12. Follow along with me. The writer proclaims, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out to a place where he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to this city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, and she considered himself him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from the one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of the heaven, as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So we don't just hear of Abraham's faith, we hear of Sarah's faith. And in these verses, we discover these, these great examples of faith and whose story we've been looking at over the past several weeks. We're to understand this, that there's no other way, like the old hymn says, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. No other way. People say, how can I find joy in this life? Trust and obey the Lord. Follow his path for you. He knows better. Both Abraham and Sarah really exercise obedience as a result of faith. And that's the key, and we're going to unpack that here in a minute. They exercise obedience that results from faith. So many people think, I'm just going to force myself to do this and see if God will be faithful. I'm here to tell you, you're, you're going to be obedient when you know God is going to be faithful. Again, we read in, in Hebrews 11:8 8 through 10, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called out to the place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents as with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him uh, of the same promise. I want to stop there for a minute. Many times when you read in the Old Testament, even as you go into the New Testament, God is referred to as the God of Abraham, Uh, Jake, Isaac, and Jacob. Now why? Because those three in particular, God spoke his promise to. Spoke his promise to. So it gives special attention. So we bring our mind to, wait a minute, these three individuals heard the very voice of God of the promise that would be completely fulfilled in Christ. And when you read that, why does it have those three? I mean, he's the God of all of us. Well, that's why in scripture, those three are particularly named. Then we have verse 10. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. So Abraham obeyed in faith. Now, what was his motivation? It says he, he, he said, go from a country. This is Genesis 12. We looked at the first week of the series. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And Abraham went. 
He hears this voice of God, this personal God, and we looked at the fact that the gods in which Abraham probably had worshiped before the true God actually spoke to him were impersonal gods, and all of a sudden he encounters a personal God, a real God. He says, go, and Abraham goes, well, if he's gonna speak to me, I'm gonna go. And I wanna tell you, I think people around him thought Abraham was, had lost his mind. I really do. I mean, can you imagine uh, him going back and saying, hey, God told me, who, which God? No, no, the, the real God. Not the ones we've been worshiping, but the real God told me to go. I, he has a land for me, so I'm gonna leave. Well, what about your family? What about your security? Do you, know what it, do you know what it's like outside these city walls? Abraham said, this God spoke to me. I, I trust him, I'm, I'm gonna go. Maybe some of you have experienced that. You've come to Christ and your family thought, you have lost it. Why would you put your faith in God? By faith, Abraham looked into the future. I mean, he does. Think about the text we just read. He looks into the future, and what does he see with, faith, with a faithful eye? He sees cities. He sees a building and a foundation, and he says that the actual builder of this is God. He, he's living in a tent. I mean, just, just picture it. He's living in a tent. He's looking out over this open land, and with faith eyes, he sees that there's going to be cities. There's going to be a nation. It's going to be a light to the world. Something great is going to happen here. I shared a, several weeks ago of what they say of Walt Disney when, when Disney World was built. Walt had already passed and someone said, I wish Walt had seen this, to which someone said he did. Faith. Faith. Abraham foresaw that the builder of the city would be God and we would do well when we look at what our life looks like to sit back and say, well, wait a minute, the builder of this is God. He's in control. When you're going through the dark times, don't forget what God has shown you in the light. Don't forget that you're not alone when you feel alone. Even though you do not see the hand of God working doesn't mean he's not church. Things not seen. Then we read of Sarah's faith. Look at verses 11 and 12. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she, consider, since she considered him faithful and had, as he had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, by the way, that meant he, that's how old Abraham was, like he was as good as dead. Uh, none of you are near as old as him, so I can say that, but that's exactly what that means. Man, he was as good as dead. Uh, we're born descendants, as many of the stars of the heaven, as many as the innumerable sands by the seashore. Simply put, Sarah's long past childbearing years. Long past childbearing years. In fact, when you read the account in Genesis 18, Sarah's first response is not faith, it's laughter. I think it's important we understand that because we look at sometimes these biblical characters and we look at only the high points. The low point was these messengers of God said, hey, you're going to be pregnant. You're going to be the one who's going to bring the child a promise. And she starts laughing. She's like, what are you kidding me? I, I don't even know at that point if she really wanted to have a child. I don't know. I mean, at some point she probably thought, hey, you know, I'm okay now. I I've dealt with this. This is her response to them. She says, this is Genesis 18, 12. Imagine I who am barren, I'm going to have a baby. You go, well, oh, she must have been excited. No, 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 no. If you read in the Hebrew, she's actually questioning their sanity. She's saying to these heavenly visitors, this, this is the honest to God truth. 
She's questioning whether they understand her female condition, how old she is and past childbearing years, or whether they even understand where babies come from and how it happens. That's where she is at this point. However, the messengers persist and something changes within Sarah. She yields and belief washes over her. I think there are times in our, in our faith journey where that needs to happen to us as well. If you've ever gone through a situation it's just so tough, all you could do is, is cry or laugh. Like, you've got to be kidding me. And God says, I'm with you. I'll give you what you need. You're already victorious in me. And we have a choice. We either move away from God or we move closer to him. And faith washes over us. God, you got this. And I've got this in you. Lastly, we drop down to verses 17 and 19. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, for which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. We looked at this last week, so I won't dig real deep into it. You can go to last week's message online if you want to look at this verse a little more closely or go to the text in Genesis and look over it. But, But God asked Abraham, the sacrifice, the son of promise, Isaac. And, 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 and Abraham obeys. And he's actually to the point to where he's ready to bring the knife down upon his very own son. And God says, hey, stop. <laughs> not only do I know you have faith, but now you know you have faith. And by the way, Isaac, from this very uncomfortable position on the altar, watching you ready to kill him, also knows you have faith. And God provided as Isaac and Abraham are walking up, you may remember the account. Abraham uh, looks over at Isaac. Isaac asks Abraham, his daddy, says, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide the sacrifice. That's faith, right? I don't know if Abraham was just waiting to, to tell poor Isaac that he was the one to lay on the altar or whether he thought something else was going to happen, but something else did. As they're walking up one side of the mountain, the ram's coming up the other. God provided See, the thing unseen was the other side of the mountain, but when everything was said and done, all of a sudden Abraham sits back and goes, wow, God had this figured out the whole time. Imagine that. I found in my life that God does a really good job of being God. I do a horrible job at it. See, when we act in faith, church, God gets into the act. When we act in faith, God gets into the act. He works on our behalf. He works for his glory, which is always for our benefit. So what do we really learn as we look at the text? Well, two powerful truths. First of all, we learn about faith, that faith is the solid certainty of that for which we hope, based upon reality and a solid existence that has been tested and is essential. Our faith isn't just whimsical thinking. It's based upon a God who exists, who is present, who is working, who cares. But the second thing we learn from Abraham and Sarah's faith is that obedience rises out of the soil of faith to bear its fruit of obedience. So when we understand who God is and we place our faith in him, that's what allows us to take the next step and the next step and the next step with him. If you don't believe there's a God who loves you, you will not follow him. 
If you do not believe there's a God that's all-powerful, then no matter what you go through, when you hit those tough times, you won't believe that he has the power to bring you through it. All of this comes from faith, from faith. And I don't know about you, but when I first came to Christ, I was very young, but, but even as I was growing, many of my faith stories that I would share with others were other people's faith stories. And so I would say, why do you believe? And I would, I would share what I knew in scripture. Then I'd say, well, so-and-so shared a story and God really worked in this way. Then as you walk with God, he gives you your own faith stories. And I felt like the Lord said, I want you to share one of your faith stories. And I thought, there's so many, Lord. I've been walking with you for years now. And one came freshly to my mind because I think, uh, as I shared last week, my youngest, uh, Will, went in for surgery. He was born with a bilateral cleft lip and palate and uh, had one of his major surgeries. He has two more to go. He's had several, several over his lifetime, young lifetime. And by the way, thank you for his prayer. He's doing really well. He went to his post-op, and the doctor couldn't believe how well he was doing. And I thought, well, I can believe it because tons of people are praying. God's at work. Well, when Krista was pregnant with Will, and by the way, I, I don't know what it is uh, sometimes when you make decisions, but I was at the end of my graduate school time in a seminary, and uh, I didn't have a, a job. I was leaving the job on campus to find a job, and uh, we were going to probably leave the area. So it was the worst financial time ever to have a child, and we thought, you know what, we should have our third kid. That was when we chose to do it, you know, and, and, and so uh, we decided to, to, to try, and, and Krista got pregnant, and so there, there it was, uh, not, not knowing how I was going to support the family after I graduated, this job was going to end, and we were super excited. One day uh, I was in on campus working on my on-campus job as a, as a, as a fellow on campus of, uh, working for the fellowship there. And, and uh, she called me and said, I got some bad news from the doctor. She was crying. I don't know about you, but I'm a fixer. I was over 30-some minutes away, didn't know what to do. I said, I'll be there as soon as possible. Told my supervisor I needed to go to Krista. Told him why. He prayed with me. I, I headed down the road. 30-some minutes, longest drive of my life. I just prayed. Lord, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I don't even know what's going on. Got there, found out, you know, the t some tests came back wrong. And you, know, you take all these tests, right? And she did, I didn't, but she did all these tests. And, and one of them just didn't look right. Well, later we went to the doctor and he told us there's, there's something wrong with the baby um, and encouraged us to terminate the pregnancy. Well, that wasn't even an option for us. So we said, well, that's not an option. So what do we do now? He said, well, we'll have to see as the baby develops what happens. Well, the baby got old enough to have an ultrasound, and now they're very common. Back in those days, man, does that make me feel old. Um, 3D ultrasounds are not very common. As a matter of fact, I had never known anyone to have one. The hospital that Krista's doctor was associated with had just gotten their first one. Okay? Okay, yeah, yeah, it was the dark ages. I, I, I steered my car with my feet. And... Uh, and we got there, and we actually, um, Krista was the, the second person in the entire hospital to ever have an ultrasound with a 3D ultrasound. Um, and the person who did the ultrasound was teaching the techs how to use it. So that tells you how, how new it was. And, and as they did it, um, the 3D ultrasound, of course, are so common now, we were blown away. It's like you saw your child, right? Before, I have to be honest with the other two, we'd have ultrasounds, and they'd go, oh, this is your child. Oh, look, look, and I'd go, I can't see. And it's like a blob, right? It's like, what? <laughs> I'll take your faith, whatever you say. I believe, I believe the child's there. 
The 3D was so clear. And they said, oh, he has a bilateral cleft lip impound. And we didn't know much about that. But we realized that's why the test was off. And all of a sudden, the lady said, I had that. The one who was reading the, the 3D ultrasound. And she turned around and she was an attractive lady. And, and she, she said, I, I had that and had surgery and, you know, everything's great. And all I could see was this tiny little scar that I hadn't even noticed before. And it was like God said, I got this. I got this. Well, we read about it and, and, and sort of figured out that it was more common than we had thought and didn't know what to do and, with this. And, and all of a sudden, my mom called and said, she had, my mom, long story short, or long story longer because I'm a pastor. My mom, my mom was working for an infectious disease doctor, one of the top doctors in that area in, in Tampa Bay at the time. And um, he had a friend who happened to be the top in, in the country, one of the top. He was the top in Tampa Bay, one of the top in the country. Crisis pregnancy doctors. So when people had difficult pregnancies, they would go to him. People would actually refer to him from all over the country, and actually parts of the world. Well, he had heard about our situation through Dr. Holder and said, hey, if they move down here, now remember, I didn't have a job, so I wasn't going anywhere. If they move down here, I'll take care of them for free. Mom said, pray about it. I said, I don't need to. God answered prayer. I, I don't, you know, sometimes, sometimes as Christians, we overcomplicate things. I went, I don't even need to, I know what, God's hands in us. And so we went down and were cared for. And he was born in all children's hospital right there. Of course, you know, he's 19 years old right now. Just had one of his, one of his last surgeries, two more coming, doing great. I asked him, I said, can I, can I share this story? And he looked at me like, you've never asked whether you could ever share a story about us in the family. <laughs> But I felt like I should at least ask, you know, if he had said, no, I don't know what I would have done. I would have said, oh, okay, well, you're going to be upset then because I'm going to share it. But, um, <laughs> but God has been so, 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 so faithful. I mean, I, I can't even begin to tell you the stories of his faithfulness. When, uh, when we were down in Florida, he was born about two months in. I, when I didn't share with you, a church had called me to be their lead pastor. And I said, I, I don't know if that's really what I need to do right now. I'm not sure what's going on with Will. He hadn't been born yet. Before this, we were looking at either planning a church in Sacramento, California, be, be, being missionaries in the nation of Turkey. We put that on hold. But the first flowers to come were from this church in Wisconsin. I said to him, I said, you know, I, there's, there's like a, a, only a 1% chance I'm going to end up being your lead pastor. But they kept pursuing. I said, but they said, just come up and see us. I said, all right. I said, all right, I just don't want to waste your money. Well, anyway, that's the first church I ever lead pastored at. Um, when I was there, it was just such a love. Will went up with us. You know, he's like two months old. And a family in the community who didn't know Christ came to that church that morning that I was a candidate to preach because they heard we had a cleft lip palate child and they wanted to come and say, look, if you move into this community, you're not alone. We're here. I thought that was pretty cool for non-Christians to come and, and support us like that and to come to church, which I'm sure they didn't really want to do, uh, just to tell us that they were there for us. Here you go. Here's the end of the story of this part of, of, of my faith journey. So we had said yes. The vote was favorable. The people said, yeah, come, up, come be our pastor. So, so we were heading, flying home to, to pack up and head back up there from Florida to Wisconsin, which, by the way, God has a sense of humor. <laughs> and... 
And, and as we were leaving, the vice chair handed me a note. He says, don't read this until you're in your hotel room or stay in a hotel room before the next day when we were to fly out. And when I read the note, it was to inform us that that mother and her daughter and the son who had the cleft lip and palate, but the mother and daughter who came that morning received Christ as Lord and Savior. How God uses what we think are tragedies for his glory will never cease to amaze me. Knowing what Will was going to go through has been one of the hardest parts of my life. But how can I deny what God is doing when a two-month-old is used of God to bring someone to Christ? Two someones in the midst of that. My faith is not whimsical thinking. My faith isn't built upon something flimsy. It's built upon the fact that there's a God who exists and he's present. And I can't always see him working, but I know he is because I've pressure tested my faith and he's been proven true over and over and over again. And the reason I walk with him it's not to force something to happen. It's because of faith. Faith drives me to obedience. It's not my obedience that creates my faith. And wherever you find yourself this morning, I hope you leave your understanding there's a God who exists and he loves you. He has a plan for you. And if you've yet to receive him as Lord and Savior, that you'll take that step this morning. Whether you're here on campus or watching online, And whatever the next step of faith is that God's calling you to, you will not regret walking with him. He will prove himself to you over and over again. Because that's the God we serve. That's the God we worship. That's the spirit of God that reigns in us. Amen, church? Let's pray. Father God, I know that any time that I stand up here and share from your word, that faith is being pressure tested. What do I mean? That, 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 that all the people who are in this room, who are watching online, that, that, that they're living real lives. Some right now may feel like they're on the mountaintop, but some are in the valley or somewhere in between. They're being challenged. We're being challenged every day. Where are we going to put our trust? Where are we going to put our belief? Where are we going to put our faith? And dare I say that everything else we would put our faith in is flimsy. (laughs) It's like shifting sand. Only you are the solid foundation. Only you are totally trustworthy. Only you are sovereign and all-powerful. Only you have a perfect love. And so although we live in this world that's fallen, that has its, its challenges, has its difficulties, you are faithful to give us everything we need to make it through. And as follower of yours, we have the sure promise that one day we'll be with you in paradise. No tears will be shed. No heartache. Until then, Father God, I place my trust in you. I pray if there's anyone yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, that even now in the quietness of the heart, they would do just that, that they would place their faith in Christ who's died for our sins, resurrected for their salvation. And God, whatever difficulty someone may be facing this morning, 
Help them remember that it's not the size of their faith that matters. It's the object of their faith. That the little bit they have is more than enough for you to use to bring yourself glory. Yes, to bless them, but to bless them so that they can bless others. God, thank you for being in this gathering. And I pray as we scatter that we would take the hope we have in Jesus, the sure hope, to the world around us so they too can know the God who is here, who is working, who is loving and saving. In Christ's name we pray, amen.